Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Organic BC, a nonprofit organization that celebrates, champions, and advocates for the organic sector and broader organic community in British Columbia. Learn more at organicbc.org. My name's Jordan Marr. I'm a BC-based organic farmer, and I'm the host of this podcast. In late 2020, in light of uncertainty caused by the pandemic, Organic BC developed an alternative to its regular in-person annual conference. The conference was mostly online, and its centerpiece was a 40-episode podcast that it produced for conference ticket holders. Our intention was to eventually make these episodes available for free to the public, and what you're about to hear is one of those episodes. Our plan is to release them all on this podcast feed over the next few months. Meanwhile, the Organic BC Conference Committee is busy planning your next conference, which will, once again, take place in person. But it's also going to include a smaller slate of new podcast episodes to be released in January. I'll provide more info about all of that throughout the fall, but for now, I hope you enjoy this episode from the 2021 conference podcast. Oh, and by the way, we also incorporated the annual conference trade show into this podcast series, so we may or may not be taking a break in the middle of this episode for a short trip to that trade show. You'll know what I mean if you hear it. Okay, talk to you at the end, everybody. Hello. Can you hear me okay? Yes, Okay. You grew up on a livestock farm. Are you aware of or familiar with the Animal Health Center? No. So to your knowledge, you haven't used their services for your farm? Animal Health Center? Nope. Not, okay. not myself. Maybe my mom. Hello? Are you familiar or aware of the Animal Health Center of the Ministry of Agriculture? No, I'm not aware of it. So you're a student of the... Uh, Applied Sustainable Ranching Program, right? Yes. Have you ever heard of the Ministry of Agriculture's Animal Health Center? No. So you did an uh, educational program in agriculture, right? Yes, I did. Are you aware of the Ministry of Agriculture's Animal Health Center? You know what? No. Do you know what the Animal Health Center is? I do. What is it? What is it? Hey, have you cows heard of the Animal Health Center? Hi everyone, this is Jordan, your conference podcast MC. As you've probably figured out, this episode is about the BC Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Fisheries Animal Health Center. Guest interviewer Tristan Banwell interviews Glenna McGregor, a veterinary pathologist at the center, about the center's purpose and how it can help you diagnose pathology in your animals. I think that's all I need to say. I'll let Tristan take it from here. I hope you enjoy it. Hello. Hello, Glenna. This is Tristan Banwell calling. How are you doing? Hi. Good, thanks. Hi, Tristan. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, out of your day to talk with me. And um, I suggested this as an interview topic because I, I, I just, um, I've used the Animal Health Lab myself and I feel like uh, not as many producers as I would expect or like know about the lab and the services that are available there. Um, and I think it's something we should be really excited and proud about. So I'm, I'm hoping that this goes out to all of our organic sector and, and provides a lot of background and information for producers. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Okay. 
I'm speaking today with Dr. Glenna McGregor, who is a diagnostic veterinary pathologist with the BC Ministry of Agriculture's Animal Health Centre. Dr. McGregor, thank you for joining us on the BC Organic Podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, in your introduction of your work and in my research preparing for this interview, it became clear to me that you have worked with all kinds of species. Um, could I just name some types of animals and you can tell me whether you've worked with them? This, this will be kind of like our animal kingdom lightning round, I think. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, so dogs and cats? Lots. Okay, that's like a veterinary gimme. What about, um, yeah, for sure. what about hamsters, guinea pigs, other pet rodents? Yep, all of those. Frogs? Uh, yep. Snakes? Yep. Lizards? Yep. Birds? Lots. Okay, bats? Tons, actually. I, I read that you especially love bats, and I also love bats. So cool. Um, I do. I, I think I do pretty much all of the bat. Well, I, I know that I do pretty much all of the bat post-mortem work in the, in the problem. Awesome. Because no one else shares my love of bats. <laughs> okay, how about some large mammals, like deer? Yep. Bighorn sheep? Yep. Bison? Yep. <laughs> okay, is it true that you helped out a hedgehog who was injured in an accident on an exercise wheel? Yes, that was when I was in clinical practice, not as a pathologist. <laughs> the, the hedgehog was fine. Okay. Um, it wound... That's good to know. The and... owners were concerned that the hedgehog had this swelling in his abdomen after it fell off of his exercise <laughs> wheel, um, and it wound up being his testicles. So he, was, <laughs> he did fine after that. Okay, the listeners will be relieved to hear that. Um, okay, I have to try to stump you, I guess. Do you work on any insects? Uh, I've done a scorpion and a tarantula. Uh, but that's about it. Okay, and uh, how about my ringer? Have you worked with an echinoderm, which for our listeners would be our sea cucumbers, starfish, sea urchins, things like that? I haven't, no. I've <sighs> okay. seen some flies, but no cases. <laughs> okay, so safe to say you've, uh, you've covered most anything that our listeners would be uh, working with or worried about. So to bring it back to agriculture, could you list off the domesticated livestock species that you've worked with at the health center and throughout your career? Uh, so I do lots of work with sheep and goats, um, quite a bit with cattle. Um, poultry I do. We've got two specialty avian pathologists. When they're away, I'll do the poultry, but uh, when they're around, they do all the poultry. Um, what are the livestock species are there? Sheep, goats, cattle, pigs, um, I don't do any aquaculture species or seafood. We've got three specialists who do all of the aquaculture and seafood work. Okay. And your current jo job title, as I mentioned at the top, is Diagnostic Veterinary Pathologist. And you mentioned some of the work you do in the lab. So what does a, a day in your work life look like? Uh, highly variable. So what, what a lot of people don't know is that we are fully licensed veterinarians, and then we do an additional three, at least three years of training in specifically in veterinary pathology, which is basically the study of disease. And for what I do, it's predominantly determination of cause of death and looking for other things that have gone on with an animal that can contribute to death. Um, a lot of our pathologists have also gone on and gotten PhDs. So it is, you know, it sounds easy to dissect an animal and figure out why it died, but it actually is very complicated and I have cases pretty much every day where I'm like, oh, this is a new one for me, mm -hmm. um, even though I've been doing this for a number of years. Um, so when I'm on duty, basically I, I come in, I come to my office, and I wait to see what shows up. And so people will submit the animal that has died, and then I will 
try and figure out and help them with why it died, and then also try and figure, you know, what their question is. You know, some people, they've euthanized the animal, so we know why it died, so their question is what, you know, what caused the symptoms that led to the euthanasia. Mm-hmm. Um, we do quite a lot of forensic-type work, so then the questions are a bit different. You know, did the animal, you know, if it's a cruelty case, did the animal suffer, how long did it go on, those kind of questions, mm-hmm. I try and answer those. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I write that up in a report and coordinate, we have a number of different lab sections, so coordinate testing with the different lab sections to try and figure out why the animal died and then maybe look for other, you know, especially for a livestock case, what other things were going on in the animal that could have relevance for other in contact, either humans or animals that were in contact. Right, so like transmissible disease issues or diseases of concern. Yeah, exactly. You know, or toxins that they could have had joint exposure. You know, one animal died, the others have been exposed, that kind of thing. Right. So that's at the Animal Health Center. Let's talk about the Animal Health Center a little bit. It sounds like it's not only your place of employment, but maybe also a way of life. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, for the, sure. The vision of the Animal Health Center is a thriving, sustainable agricultural industry free from serious impacts caused by pests and diseases for the benefit of all citizens of British Columbia. And the mission of the center is to diagnose, monitor, and assist in the prevention, control, and management of animal pests and diseases in British Columbia. So, when I looked at what kind of services are offered, I came up with a list of lots of diagnostic testing, not of not all of which I understand. It's it's actually totally amazing. The lab can do like hundreds and hundreds of different types of assessments, so many diseases. Uh, but the diagnostics fall under these several categories. So if we kind of do another uh, another uh, call and response lightning round here, uh, it doesn't have to be fast, but I'll say the type of veterinary service offered, and maybe you can translate to me what it means in regular farmer language. Sounds good. Okay, so the lab does parasitology. Uh, so that's mostly looking at poop and looking at poop to see if there are parasites in that poop, um, either intestinal parasites or lung parasites. Okay. Bacteriology. Um, so that's bacterial culture. So we've got a number of different types of media because we culture a number of different species. Um, and so looking for bacteria, and they also do fungal culture. So okay. they have special ones for fish because fish are in saltwater environments. You need a saltwater media. It's very complicated, um, and, and we've got a great team in bacteriology. Wow. Okay. Uh, this one's a mystery to me. Histopathology. Um, histopathology. So that's a lot of what I do. So that's looking at tissue samples under a microscope. Okay. And maybe I'll ask you another question, follow-up question about that uh, afterward here. So we'll keep going through the list. Molecular diagnostics? Uh, molecular diagnostics is really cool. So I, you may have heard of this disease called COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so the type <laughs> of testing they do with that, I think people are a lot more familiar with it now, is PCR. Um, and that's what our molecular diagnostics team does. We have I believe 350 plus different PCR tests. Um, so that's where you look for a specific section of DNA to prove whether an organism is there or not there. Because some things can't be cultured um, or they're viruses and viruses are, are really difficult to culture. Mm-hmm. Okay, and necropsies? Uh, so necropsy is basically an autopsy for an animal. Mm-hmm. Okay, and serology? Uh, serology is looking at the, li- the liquid part of blood, the serum and looking for exposure to different disease agents, so looking for antibodies. Okay, and then the last major category was virology. Um, So that's looking for viruses, and they use a number of different techniques for that. Um, We've got an electron microscope, so they can look, 
you know, much higher power magnifications that they can actually see the viruses, or they also will do viral culture. So that's, you know, if we don't, we have a new virus, that's where we really rely on virology. So molecular diagnostics are great. If we know the virus, we know what its DNA code is, we can find that virus with molecular. But if we have a new virus that we don't know what it is, that's when we'll go to virology for viral culture or electron microscopy. Okay. So I know you may not be able to disclose this, but do you think your coworkers do coronavirus tests for each other in their spare time? <laughs> we do not. <laughs> okay. Um, could you tell me a little bit more about histopathology and, and what, um, how you go about looking at these tissue samples, how they're prepared, and, and what goes into taking a look at what's going on? Yeah, for sure. So um, when you're... So, if your listeners bring in an animal to the animal health center, the first thing will happen is um, one of the veterinary pathologists will look at that animal, dissect that animal, and look at every organ system with their naked eye. There's a lot of things you can't see with the naked eye, so they'll take samples of every tissue or from or a number of different tissues from a number of organ systems, fix them in formalin, and then they'll get processed through and made into microscope slides. So they'll be embedded in formalin and stained with a special stain. Um, so the predominant stain we use is the one you maybe will see in the media, sort of the pink and purple dot stain. Um, so that's hematoxylin and eosin. And then we have um, about 30 different stains that will highlight different elements in a tissue that we'll order depending on what we're looking for. So we've got some that highlight fungi, some that highlight um, bacteria, that kind of thing. So then you're able to visually assess these samples under a microscope, like almost looking at cross sections of the tissues, but with different elements highlighted depending on what process you use. Yeah, exactly. And that really gives you a lot of information about how the disease is causing illness in an animal. Because just because you find the DNA from a virus in a sample with PCR doesn't mean that that virus killed that animal. So you or I, a lot of us will test positive for herpes simplex virus 1. The way you know if that's causing a disease is if you look microscopically and you look at the cells and say, oh yeah, this looks like herpes is causing disease in these cells. Right, and then you're going to see symptoms that, you know, the producer is seeing uh, maybe the way the animal's presenting, but then with your techniques, you're going to be able to see the symptoms on a cellular level. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, okay, so I'd like to talk about how farmers and ranchers and our listeners can use the Animal Health Center. So maybe I should give a, a trigger warning. We've touched on it a bit, but we're going to acknowledge the possibility of sick and dead animals, so listener discretion is advised. Um, as, as some listeners will know, I manage an organic mixed livestock farm in Lillooet, and we raise chickens and turkeys, pigs and cattle. And as anyone with livestock or even pets would be aware, animals sometimes get sick and sometimes they die, sometimes mysteriously. And I've personally used the services of the Animal Health Center once when I was having health issues with young chicks in my brooder, and the lab was able to diagnose the problem as a riboflavin deficiency. So could I read you a, a, a brief portion of the findings from my report? Sure. So it said, sciatic nerve. There is moderate to marked generalized interstitial edema and vacuolation with hypercellularity due to Schwann cell proliferation. There are degenerative changes in the myelin sheaths and mild perivascular aggregation of lymphocytes. So when I saw that, I think this is not something the average farmer is going to figure out through an on-farm necropsy and, and frantic internet searching. You know, all I could say was, these, these chicks are not right. They're having leg problems. Ah! Right? So could we talk generally about what a, what a producer should do if they have a, a sick or dead animal in their hands? 
Yeah, so I mean, yeah, part of having livestock is you are going to have some dead stock, and a low level of mortality is often normal. Um, typically, if you have an animal die and you don't know why, um, that's a great time to send it into the lab or at least think about sending it into the lab. And that's going to depend a bit on your financial situation and how comfortable you are that this animal didn't die of something that's going to impact the rest of the rest of the animals that are on in the herd or flock. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do have an animal that die and you want to know why, or if you have a number of animals that die, and that's a really good trigger for sending in an animal if you're having a number of that are dying. Um, the best, obviously sending in a full carcass is going to be the best because you're going to get um, a board certified pathologist, someone who looks at a lot of dead animals, um, examining that animal. And they'll pick up things, for certain they'll pick up things that an average producer won't, mm-hmm. and they will pick up some things that your veterinarian won't. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are far away from the lab, you know, shipping in an adult cow is really not logistically <laughs> feasible if you're coming from, you know, the piece. anywhere in the north. <laughs> um, so then getting your veterinarian out, the next best thing is to get your veterinarian out to do a postmortem exam. And they'll collect those tissue samples and send them to us for us to examine microscopically. Mm-hmm. Um, third best, you know, and depending on the producer's comfort level and their knowledge of anatomy um, and normal, what tissues normally look like, um, we have taught producers through on the phone and how to do an autopsy. And we have a, a program that we weren't allowed to put on the website, but can send to you on sort of how do you do that yourself. Okay. Um, it's not often as diagnostic as, you know, for sure it's sending in the full carcass. Because unless you've looked at tens of thousands of livers, you aren't going to be able to pull up those, pick out those subtle abnormalities yourself. Right. Um, but that is another option. And then sending in sort of a, a shippable sample of uh, tissue samples to us to deal with. We call them uh, autopsies in a jar. Okay. And so to reiterate, this is something that producers can do themselves. Because I know a lot of livestock producers around the province, like ourselves, we're located far from any large animal veterinary clinic. A lot of times we're responsible for the care on our own, even if we were working remotely with a vet clinic. Um, but uh, we were able to work directly with the lab. And uh, in addition to collecting those tissue samples or talking to the lab about what you might uh, need to send in, there's also a, um, a history and report that a producer would need to send in with, with their samples. Yeah, for sure. So there's a submission form on our website, um, and the more detailed you can be in the history, the that more likely we are going to get to a diagnosis, and the more likely we are to get there quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because how it works is I examine everything, and then based on the history, choose what to test for in terms of you know bacteriology or molecular diagnostics. If that history isn't very good, I'm going to have to wait until I look at the slides microscopically to know what kind of things I should be testing for. But if my history is really good, I can get a jump on that and test right away. Right. Um, so the better the history is, the better. Um, if you are doing a postmortem yourself, um, or if it's something that just looks weird, sending in pictures or videos is also often quite helpful. Right, okay. And could you give us some, uh, some pro tips on what makes for a good animal history? Uh, so for sure, the number of animals exposed, the number that are showing symptoms and what those symptoms are. Um, so are they coughing? Do they have discharge coming out of their eyes and nose? Um, how fast they're dying? If other species are affected or you think they might be affected? Um, toxicology and diet information is often really helpful. So do they have exposure to toxins that you're really worried about? What kind of diet are they being fed? And then what kind of vaccine history is also helpful. Okay. And so, 
Are the services offered by the Animal Health Centre primarily for acute issues like a disease outbreak and sicknesses that we've been talking about, or do some producers do types of routine testing through the lab? Yeah, lots of producers do routine testing, not so much by, you know, dead stock is, is one thing, um, but also sending in feces for parasitology, um, blood samples to check for disease exposure. Um, that's quite often done. Um, and and it, the tests differ depending on the species. Um, also, when people are buying in new animals, that's a really important time. It, that's the number one way you're bringing disease onto your farm is you're going to buy it on with a new arrival. Mm -hmm. And so testing those new arrivals is also quite important. So if you brought in, for example, some new breeding stock of one species, you could be in touch with the lab about which tests they might recommend based on the species and where the animals came from while you had them kind of quarantined uh, on your farm before you mix them in common with the rest of your flock or, or herd. Or, or yeah, or even before you buy the animal, you might... You, know, you might want to ask the farm that you're buying from, what diseases have they screened for? And if they haven't screened for a disease that you know that you're free of, then test that animal before you even purchase it. Right. Okay. And then the information you could get from uh, some type of routine testing like that, you could then discuss those results with your veterinarian and, and make some decisions on, on how you might treat or manage your flock accordingly or your herd accordingly. Yeah. And it is always best to discuss it with your veterinarian. Um, some areas of the province, there aren't, isn't easy veterinarian access, and then you're free to call the lab anytime. Um, all of us are veterinarians, but we aren't able to prescribe um, any medications to you because we don't have that on-farm relationship, but we can give advice over the phone. Okay. And so I also see that the center can do some analysis on environmental samples, such as litter or surface swabs. Can you tell us a little bit more about the types of things that people are looking for when they send those samples in? That's mostly for salmonella in our commercial poultry. Mm -hmm. um, so they'll send in fluff samples or booties um, to check what their level of salmonella um, contamination is in the barn, especially when they're switching over, you know, an all-in, all-out system when they're switching over to a new flock, right. just to make sure that they aren't keeping stuff from the old flock. Right. Okay. And we've been talking about big livestock primarily, but the lab also provides services to beekeepers. Is that right? It does, yes. Yeah, we've got a, a great bee guy who does all the bee stuff. Um, so there's workshops, webinars, and diagnostics available for bees. Okay. And um, you mentioned workshops um, so and, and other resources that the Animal Health Center has. So we could go through some of those. I... I will, uh, th there's just excellent and detailed guidelines available on the Animal Health Center website about the types of samples to collect and what to send in in the case if you are having abortions or diarrhea, enteritis, you know, pneumonia, uh, instructions on obtaining milk samples or fecal samples and environmental samples. And we'll include a link to the Animal Health Center's resources on our website. Um, but how else could producers learn more about animal health? You mentioned the uh, workshops, and I was wondering if you could tell me more about the types of workshops and webinars you've been involved with or that the Animal Health Center offers. Yeah, so unfortunately right now we're sort of on a hiatus with in-person workshops as we can't gather. Um, but hopefully once uh, we can gather again, we'll resume our in-person workshop series because those are, in my experience, a lot more effective than any virtual offering mm -hmm. in terms of workshops. Um, we do have some webinars available on the website, and then we do in-person workshops. I do one on sheep and goats, um, primarily targeting smaller flocks and herds, so I've had some quite large flocks and herds and try and tailor it um, to whoever's in the audience. 
Um, our avian pathologists have one on small flock poultry, so that covers chickens, turkeys, and ducks and geese. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our bee guy has some workshops that are, he primarily does uh, online workshops um, that, that are streamed all across Canada and get really rave reviews. Um, there also is a new small flock swine or small lot swine workshop. Um, right now they're doing some webinars, and then as soon as we can gather, there'll be some in-person workshops. Um, for swine, primarily, again, targeting those smaller um, holdings. That's great. And I know that uh, a lot of times those uh, types of events are publicized through the um, the in- individual sector groups, like uh, like perhaps through uh, the Sheep Federation or things like that. And I, I've also seen, and I, I subscribe to the Animal Health Center's um, newsletter, which is called the Animal Health Monitor. And I, I find it, it's, it's quite geeky, and I find it really interesting. It, it goes over some of the... Uh, you know, any ongoing um, disease outbreaks that might be happening in the province, interesting cases that the lab sees and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, the Animal Health Monitor is a great resource. It is maybe targeted a bit more to the veterinary audience, um, so it can geek out a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then also your local industry association is our biggest way of advertising. I mean, we, we try and do things on Facebook and Craigslist and Kijiji. Um, that kind of thing, but getting information about the workshops out is always a bit of a challenge. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll make sure that our association shares out uh, some of those events when they're upcoming so that our producers can take advantage of it. And uh, is there anything okay. that we didn't touch on that you think that would be useful for livestock producers, uh, beekeepers, ranchers, uh, etc., to know about the Animal Health Center? Uh, no, I think that pretty much covered it. So, um you are also always welcome to phone, and it is often, you know, if you have something and you're not sure if it's going to be worthwhile to submit it, you you can phone anytime. Um, we'll probably wind up calling you back in a you know a day or two because we do get quite busy. Um, but happy to talk you through that decision making process, talk you through should you go to all the trouble of sending in the full sheet, or is this something that you maybe could get by with bits and pieces, and sort of what bits and pieces would be most likely to be helpful. Um, so, yeah, feel free to phone anytime. The contact information should all be on the website, mm-hmm. um, as is the submission form and any um, fee information is on there as well. Yeah, and I think that I, from my perspective, the fees are quite reasonable for for the valuable information you're getting. Yeah, it is. we're actually very lucky. I've worked in several other labs in, in Canada and visited a number of others um, across the world, and we are extremely lucky to have this lab in BC. Mm-hmm. Um, our fees are extremely reasonable and they include, you know, for when you send in an animal, you can send in up to three for the price of one, as long as they're likely to have died of the same thing, Right. Um, which a lot of other labs don't offer. And then we have a lot of ancillary tests that other labs um, will charge extra for. And so, it's, you know, it's a tremendous result. Um, it's heavily, heavily taxpayer subsidized. So yeah. The fee you pay is really only a fraction of the value that you're getting. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think, yeah, we're very lucky in BC to have such a good lab here. Uh, Dr. McGregor, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to tell our listeners more about the Animal Health Center and uh, the resources and opportunities that you guys provide there. Great. Thanks for reaching out. Hopefully we don't see any more of your cases. (laughs) I hope not. Okay. Thanks a lot, Glenna. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right. That's it for now. Special thanks for our podcast music goes out to Matt Eckel, a jazz flutist and father of organic rancher Aubin Banwell. You can search for Matt's music online. 
Eckle is spelled E-A-K-L-E. I also want to thank all of the guest interviewers you'll be hearing in this series as we re-release it over the next few months. Gavin Wright, Molly Thurston, Abra Bryn, Tristan Banwell, and Emma Holmes. Thanks to all of you for your contributions to the show. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed what you just heard. I'm Jordan Marr, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you.